When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, y'all. On this week's episode, I'm going to take you out to the humid pine forests of Mississippi to discover an old abandoned ghost town named Rodney. But first, I want to tell you about our latest giveaway. Back in June, one lucky listener got a chance to win a free Southern Gothic t-shirt. But this month, we're going to go along with my own personal vice, and we're going to give away a Southern Gothic branded coffee mug. So, if you're interested in throwing your name in, Head over to southerngothicmedia.com slash newsletter and sign up for our email list. That's all you got to do for a chance to win. southerngothicmedia.com slash newsletter. The link is in the show notes. The Mississippi River flows over 2,300 miles through the center of the continental United States. This waterway is one of the world's most important commercial rivers and has played a vital role in the growth of America. DeSoto was the first European explorer to discover it in 1541, but in reality, the Mississippi has existed for almost 80 million years formation starting when dinosaurs still roam the earth. For a millennia, mankind has used the river as both a breadbasket and highway, and the land on its banks has proven fruitful for farming. The invention of the steamer in the 19th century brought a new era to the mighty Mississippi, catalyzing the inevitable prominence of the South's pre-war cotton industry and preparing the way for the Industrial Revolution in America. But the Mississippi River doesn't always respect what mankind wants. Intermittent flooding and fickle fluctuation to the river's course have had catastrophic consequences for numerous towns and settlements over the years. And in the state of Mississippi, just north of Natchez, sits a prime example of man's inability to predict Mother Nature's next move. The ghost town of Rodney. 
My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you are listening to Southern Gothic. Thirty miles northeast of Natchez are the decaying remains of the once thriving community of Rodney, Mississippi. During the mid-19th century, when steamboats and cotton were considered the backbone of the southern economy, Rodney was the most bustling port on the Mississippi River between St. Louis and New Orleans. Yet the same river that gave life and prosperity to this community eventually became one of the many factors in its ultimate abandonment. Prior to European settlement, this area was frequently used for river crossings, first by indigenous people, and then as part of the El Camino Real, an overland trail connecting Spanish territories in North America. The French and Indian War gave the British control of the region, but in 1763, it was the French who established the first permanent settlement there. They named it Petit Gulf. Located just two miles from the Mississippi River, this town was intended to be a port for trade, but the community would become so much more as it evolved into the center of a thriving plantation economy thanks to the river's deposit of nutrient-rich soil. Following decades, Petty Gulf in this section of West Florida changed hands between the British to the Spanish, and then after some conflict, from a holding of Spain to that of the United States, when in 1798, the territory of Mississippi was established. All the while, Petty Gulf and the surrounding area, known as Petty Gulf Hills, began to grow. Dr. Rushworth Nutt was one of the area's earliest and most influential settlers. Born in Virginia, Dr. Nutt earned his medical degree at the University of Pennsylvania before setting out on an 1805 horseback tour of what was then the southwestern territories of the United States. Eventually, the doctor settled in Petty Gulf, got married, and set up a medical practice. He then purchased a plantation of his own, which he named Laurel Hill. Dr. Nutt became active in the politics of early Mississippi, but his true contribution to the growing community was agricultural innovation. Through constant experimentation, Dr. Nutt developed a more efficient type of cotton than was being used at the time, a strain that would become known as petty golf cotton. By crossing a Mexican plant with a local variety, Nutt's innovation, quote, slid through the cotton gin more easily than any other strain. It also grew tightly, producing more usable cotton than anyone had imagined to that point. The doctor also tinkered with Whitney's cotton gin and became the first planter in Mississippi to use a steam engine to drive his machines. 
but ultimately, it was his strain of cotton that had a lasting impact. By 1817, when Mississippi became the 20th state to enter the Union, Petty Golf had garnered enough attention to be considered for the first state capital. Ultimately, the honor was bestowed upon nearby Natchez, as Petty Golf lost by a mere three votes. It's unclear exactly when the community began calling itself Rodney, with some sources indicating that the transition may have begun as early as 1814. But it wasn't until 1828 when the town was formally incorporated with a new name, a name meant to honor territorial magistrate Thomas Rodney. An 1828 sketch of the town, done by French naturalist and painter Charles Le Sur, shows Rodney consisted of only about 20 buildings at this time. Within the next few years, the population of Rodney grew to about 200, but with the ever-increasing traffic on the Mississippi River, the town grew faster and faster. In the late 1830s, American general and future president Zachary Taylor visited Rodney and was not only taken by the charm of the town, but saw opportunity in the area's rich farmland. So in 1841, Taylor sold all of the properties he owned in Louisiana and Mississippi and then purchased Cypress Grove Plantation just a few miles south of town. For the property, Taylor paid $60,000 in cash with an additional $35,000 in notes, an amount equivalent to about $3 million today. For this, he received over 1,900 acres of land and the ownership of 81 enslaved persons. General Taylor named his new investment the Buena Vista Plantation. But despite his desire to settle down in his new home, his military duties ensured that he was seldom in residence there. In 1846, he fought in the Mexican-American War and as a result, became a national hero. So the Whig Party convinced General Taylor to run in the 1848 presidential election, which he successfully won. Unfortunately, the new commander-in-chief would never make it back to his beloved Buena Vista, as President Taylor grew ill from a stomach disease and subsequently died on July 8, 1850. It was around this time that Rodney was at its peak, a busy port of call that boasted nearly a thousand residents, 35 stores, two banks, two newspapers, a Masonic hall, and a large hotel with a ballroom. The town had also earned a reputation for entertainment, as Rodney not only claimed ownership of Mississippi's first opera house, but it also held successful county fairs that drew visitors from New Orleans, Vicksburg, and Natchez. The local jockey club, lecture hall, and thespian groups were all very active, and on a number of occasions, traveling actors and musicians passing through on steamboats stopped to entertain the public. 
Yet not everything went smoothly for this upstart Mississippi town. In 1843, a horrendous yellow fever epidemic struck Rodney. The outbreak was so severe that it made national news. The Philadelphia Inquirer and National Gazette described the affair in its October 26, 1843 newspaper. Quote, The last New Orleans papers say that in Rodney, Mississippi, the yellow fever continues to rage in its most fatal form. All the physicians, without exception, have been taken down with the disease. The Mississippi Free Trader and Natchez Gazette described the situation in even more dire terms. Quote, The village is almost depopulated. Even the only apothecary shop in the place is closed, as are all of the stores. Of course, there will be no need of quarantining against a village, having no business and no inhabitants. It is unknown how many people lost their lives from yellow fever that year, but only four years later, Rodney experienced yet another outbreak of the disease. Fortunately, this one was far less severe. But then, in 1852, a disastrous fire erupted in town. Luckily, these early setbacks did little to slow the town's growth. And by 1860, Rodney, Mississippi had more than quadrupled in size, with approximately 4,000 residents. At this point, the main commercial streets of Commerce and Magnolia were lined with every possible business the townspeople could want or require. There were banks and barbers, doctors and dentists, hotels, stores, and saloons. The town was truly bustling. Unfortunately, its good luck was about to end. Y'all, I want to take a quick minute to tell you about one of my favorite nonprofit organizations here in Middle Tennessee. It's called Poster Nashville. Now, this organization supports people during times of housing or medical crises by providing compassionate, temporary care for their pets. That's right. Poster helps secure loving homes for beloved little furballs when their human companions are going through things that might otherwise cause them to have to give them up. But since Poster began back in 2020, they've been able to reunite nearly 250 pets with their loving pet parents after they were able to secure housing, keeping families together through tough times. Of course, y'all, I have to say from personal experience, it's been an awesome program to be around. My kids and I have been fortunate enough to hang out with some of the pups. And trust me, what Poster is doing through a devoted network of volunteers is absolutely heartwarming. So if you'd like to help, Poster is in the middle of their annual fundraiser right now, trying to hit a goal of $20,000. And it would mean the world to me if you'd consider helping us get there. All you got to do is visit southerngothicmedia.com bark. That's right, southerngothicmedia.com bark. Hello all, Eric Rivenus with the Most Notorious Podcast here. Each week I interview an author or historian about a historical true crime, tragedy, or disaster. 
Subject matter ranges from gunslingers to Gilded Age murder to gangsters to fires to pirates to wild prison breaks. My guests bring their incredible knowledge directly to you. Please subscribe to Most Notorious on your favorite podcast app. Cheers and have a safe tomorrow. For the first few years of the Civil War, Rodney saw little of the conflict, but its location near the Mississippi River made its involvement inevitable. In June of 1863, 40 United States Cavalry troops disembarked from Rodney to launch a failed raid on the Confederate-controlled Mobile and Ohio Railroad. Then, the following month on July 4, 1863, the results of the Battle of Vicksburg left the Confederacy virtually cut in two, giving total control of the Mississippi River to the United States. As such, U.S. warships regularly patrolled the river, and Rodney became home to one that has left its mark on local lore. The USS Rattler was what was known as a tin-clad warship, it was a wooden sternwheeled steamer and was originally named the Florence Miller before it was purchased by the United States Navy. While anchored at Rodney, the Rattler's men were under strict orders to stay on the ship at all times, but the sailors eventually grew tired and restless. So on September 13, 1863, Captain Walter Fentress and 19 of his men went against their better judgment and attended services at Rodney's Presbyterian Church. Reverend Baker was a staunch loyalist to the United States, so he personally invited the men, but his political views were not exactly popular in town. The service began without issue, but as the second hymn began, a Confederate cavalry commander named Lieutenant Allen entered the church and walked up to the reverend Allen apologized to the congregation for the interruption and then announced that the church was surrounded by his men and demanded that the U.S. sailors surrender themselves. To this, Second Assistant Engineer Smith drew his weapon and fired at the Confederate commander. The bullet went through Allen's hat, but the outbreak of gunfire caused the church congregation to dive beneath the pews for safety while the Confederate cavalry outside began firing in through the windows. To regain control of the situation, Lieutenant Allen fired a single shot into the ceiling and bellowed for a ceasefire. The United States sailors, including Captain Walter Fentrist, were then taken into custody. Of course, word of the incident spread fast and the men who remained on the Rattler responded swiftly by bombarding the town and church with cannon fire. But Lieutenant Allen sent word that if the shelling did not stop, the captured men would be hanged. So the sailors complied, but in the process, four homes had been struck by cannon fire, as well as the church itself, where a cannonball was left embedded in its side. 
The entire event was over by 1.30 that afternoon, and the crew of the USS Rattler became a laughingstock, for it was the first time in history that a small squad of cavalrymen successfully captured the crew and commander of an ironclad gunboat. Reverend Baker, who inadvertently triggered the whole ordeal, soon left the area, and months after their capture, Captain Fentress and his men were freed in a prisoner exchange. Today, the Presbyterian Church still stands, almost two centuries after its construction. The two-story red brick building was done in the federal architectural style and formally dedicated on January 1st, 1832. But by the early 20th century, the community had dwindled so much that its last full-time pastor left in 1923, with only 16 remaining congregation members. Arguably one of the most iconic structures of this ghost town, funds were raised for the Presbyterian Church's restoration in the 1960s. This, of course, came with the addition of a cannonball to the front facade of the building, just above the middle window, where the church was struck by the Rattler in 1863. Of course, this cannonball, although authentic to the time, is not the one that actually struck the building but it remains today. In many ways, what took place here at the Presbyterian Church was the beginning of the end for this thriving Mississippi town. A year after the incident with the Rattler, federal troops were sent from Vicksburg with orders to destroy a reported concentration of Confederate troops in the area. Upon their landing, almost every residence in the town was plundered. Rodney found itself like many of the small towns in the southern United States, struggling in the aftermath of the Civil War. Then, in 1869, the entirety of Rodney, Mississippi, was nearly consumed by fire. The cause of the blaze is unknown, but the severity is unquestioned. An officer aboard the steamer Richmond witnessed the devastation. He described it, quote, Wednesday night, shortly after we left Vicksburg, a bright light was observed in the southern horizon. All manner of speculation was rife on board concerning the cause, and as the light grew nearer and nearer, the interest grew in proportion. At last, after several hours of eager watching, we bore in sight of the beautiful town of Rodney, and lo, we beheld it the object of the wrath of the Fire King. The whole village was wrapped in a mantle of flames. The scene was grand beyond description, lit up as it was by the Lord lights and burning buildings, mingled with the moon's pale beams. While the inferno in the town was a disaster in and of itself, and the post-war economy caused the town to struggle, in 1870, Mother Nature turned its back on Rodney one last time. A large sandbar had formed in the Mississippi River nearby, causing the river's flow to shift westwards, away from town. As a result, what was once a bustling port town was now roughly two miles away from the river that helped build it. The town, 
had lost its port. For a time, there was hope that the railroad would come to Rodney and revive the days of old. But the Natchez, Jackson, and Columbus Railroad bypassed the city in favor of reaching nearby Fayette, Mississippi. So the population continued to fall, and with no industry left in town, the remaining citizens were left to struggle. By the 1930s, less than 100 people remained, so Mississippi's governor, Theodore Bilbo, finally revoked Rodney's official status as a town. Today, Rodney, Mississippi still retains a handful of residents, but the once town is so far off the beaten path that there is only one serviceable road into it, and the last few miles are nothing but rock and mud. The once thriving businesses of Commerce Street that were located a mere two blocks from the Mississippi River are now almost four miles from its banks. The river is now only visible in Rodney during the winter, and that's from the cemetery on the hill above town. A handful of the town's original structures remain, and in 1980, the Rodney Center Historic District was added to the National Register of Historic Places to protect these buildings. The Opera House, Town Hall, and major commercial buildings have long since disappeared, but the several churches and Masonic Hall are still there. Although the glory days of Rodney, Mississippi have been lost to both time and the shifting currents of the mighty Mississippi River, in 2017 a nonprofit was established with the mission to stabilize and restore as much of the area's structures as they possibly can. The Rodney History and Preservation Society has already begun work on the Presbyterian Church and continues to raise money to save some of the few remaining pieces of Mississippi's most infamous ghost town. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you've been listening to Southern Gothic. Southern Gothic is an independently produced podcast created by siblings Brianne and Brandon Schecksneider with the support of listeners like you. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to receive even more content, including ad-free episodes, head over to our Patreon page today. The link is in the show notes. Lucky Lady Shacks. Hello, my name is Matt, host of the Pirate History Podcast. Pirates rank among the most mythologized and romanticized of all historical figures. It can become easy to forget that pirates were real people that had real-world concerns. If you like tales of high seas adventure, daring do, and also want to learn more about who Blackbeard supported to be king, you can learn more about all of that at the Pirate History Podcast. What's something you learned in history class that you feel like wasn't the whole truth? Better yet, What's something you didn't learn at all that was omitted completely? That's what I like to call redacted history. My name is Andre White, the host of the Redacted History Podcast. 
the place where history's forgotten events, heroes, and villains get their story told, one episode at a time. The Redacted History Podcast. Real history never dies. Stream the Redacted History Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts.